It's good to be here tonight, and um, I do have something that I feel like God has put on my heart, something I've been dealing with for a while. And so um, we're going to get started here. But my title tonight is, What You're Going to Do With It? What You're Going to Do With It? So turn, turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse number 6. When you're there, say amen. All right. Everybody knows what the book of Acts is. Let's be in an apostolic church. Verse 6. When they were therefore come together. Now, where we're at right here, um, we've been studying the book of Acts down to young adults, so we're all familiar with that. But, but at this point, this is just right at the beginning of, of the beginnings of the Christian church. And, and, of course, Jesus, these are some of his final words to his disciples before he sends into heaven. Uh, verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Say it one more time with me. What are you going to do with it? And we're going to pray. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity to come together, this opportunity to come together and just to open up your word and to study your word and to see what you would have for us. And I pray right now, God, that you would touch me, you would anoint me, you would use me, God, and, and you'd speak through me to, to all of us tonight. I pray that you would touch every person in this room, every situation, every need, dear God. I pray for your blessing in your hand, and I pray that you would anoint us tonight and go with us tonight and, and, and speak to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said, these were the words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. And uh, they'd asked him, and we've seen this before, they'd asked him, is this when you're going to do the political thing? Is this when you're going to come? and you're going to restore your earthly kingdom. You're going to restore Israel to the way it had been in the glory days of King David and King Solomon. Is this when you're going to do what we think you're going to do? And he said, you still don't get it. That's not what this is about. You've been my disciples for a long time. A, a disciple is, is, a, is a student. It's somebody who learns under, who studies under. Uh, that's where we get the word discipline. And um, oh, there's my dad, and I know all about that. But... Uh, the, they were disciples, they were students, they learned under Jesus, but now he's saying, become my apostles. And an apostle is an ambassador, it's somebody who is sent, somebody who goes in the place of somebody else. And, uh, you know, we all know about, you know, um, the ambassador to the UN or the ambassador to Kosovo or, 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 or England or Germany or wherever. They go and they carry the message from the United States. They come to stand in the place of the president, to represent the president, to bring the message that, that the president of the United States has to share. They have to have a good reputation. They have to be, you know, if they do something wrong, if they do something bad, if they commit a crime, that's going to go back to the reputation of the United States, of the president. And so the, the ambassador to the two or from the United States, has to have a good reputation. And, and, and it's the same thing here. Jesus told us that his disciples become apostles. I want you to go out, and you've got to share what I'm sending forth. Um, Jesus said, I'm going to give you power, and then I'm going to give you a purpose. Um, God doesn't send us without preparing us. 
uh, the discipleship that Jesus provides has to follow apostleship or has to follow with apostleship. It's, it does no good for us to sit at the feet of Jesus, hear the words of Jesus, and not go do something with it. We have to have, the, 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 the discipleship must lead to apostleship. So Jesus sends his disciples out. He says, go ye to Jerusalem. That's the starting point. That's the hub. That's the central point. Now, he's speaking to his disciples. We know that they were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. For those of you that don't know, come see me after. We'll, we'll talk about that. Jesus is speaking to other Jews, and Jerusalem is the center of Jewish life. Uh, Psalm one thirty to, to talk to just you can't overstate how important Jerusalem is to the Jewish community. Um, Psalm one thirty seven verses five and six, uh, King David says, "If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. Don't let my hand forget what it's supposed to do. I can't fight. I can't do anything anymore without my right hand. If I forget Jerusalem, it's more important than my power. It's more important than my strength. It's more important than my works. Jerusalem is the center." If, if I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So Jerusalem is the center, and that's where they started. That's where he says, go back to Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem, and start being my ambassador in Jerusalem. Start telling the church folk, right? The Jews, of course, it's not just a nationality, it's a religion. So he's telling, the, Jesus is telling his disciples to go back and share it with, with everybody and, and, and show how this fulfills Judaism. Show how this fulfills Abraham's covenant. Show how this fulfills everything you believed. Show how Jesus is the Messiah. Start in Jerusalem. Then go into Judea. Judea. Go into the countryside. But then go to Samaria. And, th and that's, that's the hard part for the disciples is go to the bad part of town. Go to the other side of the tracks. These are the people that, that maybe they had false doctrine. You know, they, they did worship worship Yahweh, but they also worshiped all the other gods. They didn't keep their lineage in the Old Testament. They didn't keep their lineage pure the way that um, God had commanded the Jews to do. And, and so they'd, they'd um, married and, and, and had children and that kind of thing with people from other races, so they weren't pure Jews anymore. And the Jewish community... Uh, it was so important, and I know a lot of this is re repetitive. I know everybody knows all this, but they would go out of their way to avoid even walking through Samaria. So this was this was a neighborhood you didn't even drive through. You went the long way around to avoid going into Samaria. So it wasn't just take the gospel to your friends, but it was take the gospel to to the, to the least, to the worst, to the just the people you don't like at all, to the embarrassing people, to the socially outcast. So. And, and, then, and then to all the rest of the earth. Anybody you meet, take the gospel. Anybody you meet, take this. Now, Jesus had been an example of this, right? I mean, we, we, we know the story in, in John where Jesus is going through, um, and, and the disciples are, of course, they're, they're going back to Jerusalem, and, and the disciples are, of course, prepared to walk around Samaria, and Jesus says, no, I'm going through there. And he goes and he meets the woman at the well. And we all know that story of, of the woman at Jacob's well. And the, the, the Jews come back and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing here? The, we have to go eat. We can't be seen here. Nobody can know that we've been here. And he's like, look around. 
the fields are white with the harvest. So Jesus had been an example of preaching to the Jews. He'd been an example of preaching to the Samaritans. He'd been an example of preaching to the people that nobody wanted to touch. He'd gone and he'd, he'd healed the lepers and he'd touched and, and, and healed and, and saved the prostitutes. And he'd gone out and he'd touched and, and he'd, he'd talked to the religious people if they wanted to hear it. And he'd talked to the drunkards if they wanted to hear it. And he'd talked to the tax collectors if they wanted to hear it. So he was an example. And, and he equipped... The, uh, he, he equipped his disciples for that. Now, God equips us for a purpose. When God gives us a gift, he, he does it for a reason. We have a purpose. We have something that we're, that we're meant to do. Um, does anybody remember the former youth pastor, Jason Stone? Okay. Um, he was about, what do you say, of six foot seven, 95 pounds, something like that. He was, as my dad says, a waste of tall that man was tall and you know he looked athletic he looked like he'd be fast we were playing basketball and and somehow I was the guy picking teams yeah um it was only because I could hit free throws I'd practice for hours so I could be sure to play but uh I, and, and and I thought I was gonna do good I was gonna pick J brother stone and I called Jason Stone and he comes on my team and we're bringing the ball down someone passes it to him in the middle and he's right there all he has to do like Put it in the basket. You're that tall. You're right there. What's wrong? And he couldn't hit a basket. That man was a waste of tall. <laughs> he had a gift. God had blessed him with long legs, long arms, but no talent whatsoever. He was not. Evan, am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, he, he was a waste of tall. He was like, it was like wings on a penguin. It made, he was no good that tall was just a waste on him. Give it to somebody that's got talent. Uh, it reminds me of those those big luxury SUVs, you know, that don't go camping. It's like, seriously, you're going to take that Mercedes SUV with your product gun rack out into the woods? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not doing its purpose. It's not doing what it was meant to do. And when God equips us, he, he doesn't equip us just so we can sit there. He doesn't equip us just so we can sit by. We didn't receive this doctrine so that we could just sit. He hadn't reached out and, and saved his apostles and brought them out so that they could just sit by and do nothing. Romans chapter 1 verse 5 says that from Christ we've received both, both grace and apostleship. We've been saved, we've been forgiven, we've been redeemed, we've been brought into Christ, but then we've been given apostleship. We have to go out. It's our, we're bound to it. It's our purpose. It's what we're called to do. God's equipped us so that we can go forth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, uh, beginning in verse 12, I'm just going to read a few scriptures. Verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether, be, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. Now we're going to jump down to verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. This has been happening to me a lot lately. I've been in church my whole life and just recently has God, like I'd, I'd be somewhere, I'd be thinking about something and then like a passage of scripture I'd heard all my life would come alive and, and just open up in my mind. I'm like, oh, that's what that means. And it's really cool, and then I'm really excited, and I usually will call one of my friends. I'll be like, you're never going to believe this. Listen to this. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> but, 
But this happened to me on this passage, so I'm going to get really excited and tell you about it, and you're going to look at me and say, yeah. So we are the body of Christ. The church is the body of, we are the body of Christ. And, and the, the body of Christ has to do the work of Christ. I was excited when I heard that. And you're all looking at me and saying, yeah. okay, but I was excited when I heard that. And, and then I got this metaphor. If we're the body, the body has structure. That's doctrine. If you don't have good doctrine, you ha don't have a good skeleton, you have a funny-shaped body. Again, I was really excited. And, 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 and we have to have the life of the church. We have to have the essence of the church. We have to have the breath of the church, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's what guides us. That's what directs us. But you can't have just the Holy Spirit and not have good doctrine because then you have a body that doesn't work right. You can't just have you know, a, a skeleton but, but no body or no spirit because then you just have a corpse. You have a dead church. You have a dead body. You have no, so you need both, right? And, 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 and we're Pentecostal, and we speak in tongues, and we're all excited about that, and that's awesome. And we have good teaching, we have good doctrine, and that's awesome. And we're excited about that, but what are we going to do with it? And that's the question I have tonight. What are we going to do with it? You know, last time I preached, I, I, I had something on my heart. I had just something that burdened me, and I preached, we always got to be right. We have to have right doctrine, and, and, and I believe we do have right doctrine. We have the truth. I believe there is only one God. Scripture shows it clearly. There is only one God. Jesus Christ is that God. He's the image of the invisible God. We have right doctrine. We have the Spirit. When the Spirit of God comes into my heart, out of the abundance of the heart, my mouth speaketh. And when the Spirit of God came into my heart the first time, I spoke in tongues. And it happens that way every time somebody receives the Holy Ghost. They speak in tongues. And we, have a, we, we, we live a life of holiness and righteousness, and we walk uprightly, and we walk in the Spirit. And that's the right thing to do. We have good doctrine. We have the Holy Ghost. But we have to do something with it. The body of Christ is to be about the business of Christ. We have to go out and do the work of Christ. What was Jesus about? Saving people. We see in the Old Testament a God that saves. Noah was saved in the ark. Israel, uh, Jacob, was saved from the famine when Joseph was able to provide a place for them in Egypt. The children of Israel were saved at the night of the Passover after the blood was applied and the death angel passed over. They were saved when they crossed the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh were destroyed. They were saved when they led by the cloud in the wilderness. They were saved when the Lord provided manna daily for them to eat. We see in the Old Testament an image of God, Yahweh God, who saves. And then we move to the New Testament. And who's our hero? Jesus. You know what Jesus means? It means Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. That's his name. His name is who he is. His name is who he's about. And Jesus came and he said, I've come to do a work. He said in Luke 2.49, he was 12 years old. Don't tell me that Jesus wasn't God manifest in the flesh. Because at 12 years old, he was in the temple. His dad, his earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter. But even at 12 years old, he was in the temple saying, did you not know I must be about my father's business? 
And Mark 2.17, he said, they, who are, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Mark, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son unto the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And on the cross, right as he was about to die, Jesus, when he was when he was weak, when he was beaten, he was dehydrated, he was possibly even delirious from the blood loss. He says, it's finished. Another translation, probably a better translation, is it's accomplished. I've done what I came to do. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus instructed his disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And what did Jesus command to do? Call sinners to repentance. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke chapter 24. Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to arise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And the early church followed in this pattern. In Acts chapter 2, verse 21, Peter says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Acts 2.37, when Peter finished his first sermon, he said, When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. They said unto Peter, What must we do? And Peter responded, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It was the work of the church. It was the purpose of Jesus was to save sinners. It was the purpose of Jesus to lead people to repentance. And he commanded his, his disciples to go preach repentance, preach baptism, preach forgiveness of sins in my name. And the church went out. That's exactly what they did. First Timothy 1.15, Paul writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus said that heaven responds. He says that, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Just one. Just one sinner. Heaven has a party. Just one sinner, one lousy little sinner, one soul. We get worked up. We would be excited if we had a day of Pentecost revival. 120 people get the Holy Ghost like that. And then after one sermon, 3,000 more. It's time to retire. But then the church kept going. The church kept going. One more soul and heaven has a party. One more soul and heaven has a parade. You know, we, I remember we've been studying the book of Acts, like I said, and I remember when... Uh, after the revival, now what? Uh, I, I think it was maybe Brother Kilman that, that taught that lesson. For those of you that don't know, all of our services down here get recorded and they get podcasted. So any lesson that you missed, anything you've missed, you can go online to our website and uh, down, download them all. So look for this sermon, the, the, the lesson I'm talking about now. After the revival, now what? Philip goes out into the desert. He, he's there in Samaria. They're having revival. People are getting baptized, getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And uh, the Holy Ghost tells him to go, go to the desert. He witnesses to one person. And you know what? When that one person repented, when that one person was baptized, heaven rejoiced. Heaven rejoices when just one, 
one soul comes to repentance. And you know what? We can all do it. We can all do it. This is a talented group. I love the young adults of Calvary Tabernacle. I really do. I get excited. I, I truly believe, excuse me, that the young adults of Calvary Tabernacle have the best teaching and the best leaders in the entire UPC. That, that Not me. I'm talking about the people that are up here every week, Brother Lopez and Sister Collins and Brother Kilman, who's preaching out tonight, Brother and Sister Parkas and my dad. We have the best teachers, I believe, teaching just wonderful doctrine, wonderful lessons. Come on. And I believe this group has the potential to completely change the way young adult ministry, not youth ministry and not, you know, how they're doing, but young adult ministry, this age group, this 18 to 35, this group that they say they can't be reached. I believe this group has the potential to completely change the way they do this in the entire movement. We are a model that nobody else is doing. But we got to, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with it? And, and I, was, I was hesitant to, to talk about this. I was hesitant to preach this but I just couldn't get it off my chest. I just couldn't get it off my heart. I, I was just burdened. There's a, there's a young lady from IBC, uh, Sister Gill, and I don't, I don't know her. Is she down here? Does anybody know? No? Okay. Um, who, uh, I had the story told to me, so forgive me if I get something wrong, but as I understand it, she grew up, and, and she was homeschooled, and uh, she, was, she was a little bit shy, and, and when she went to a secular college after, after she graduated high school, she um, just really had a hard time adjusting, being on campus in, in that environment. And, but, but she did it, and, and God helped her, and she got her degree. Then she came to IBC, and, and, and then getting away from home again and living on, living on campus now instead of just going to campus was, again, another thing, putting her outside of her comfort zone, and she had a tough time with that. But she started getting used to it. She started integrating. She started having a really, doing a really good job. And, and then Reality Week rolled around for IBC. And uh, they, they were passing out the cards and telling, go, go ahead and go witness. Go, go talk to people. And so she was able to overcome that. And she went and she met one person and invited her to come out to the tent revival. And this lady did. And she brought two friends with her. And then uh, after the service... Uh, Sister Gill says, I'll, I'll take you back home. Where, where do you live? And it was a half-hour drive. These people had walked what was a half-hour drive just to come to, to the tent revival. So they were hungry. And they came the next Sunday to church. And, and, and this one lady that she met came down after service and repented. And, and it was filled with the Holy Ghost. And now Sister Gill is teaching a Bible study in a women's shelter through this contact that she made, through this, up, and, and it was all about her, her saying, I, I have something, and I know what I can do with this. I can go out and I can witness. I can go out and, and, and reach somebody and go out and preach and, and, and share the gospel and just talk to one person. And how's that going to open up a door? How's that going to open an opportunity? I don't know what it's going to lead to, but I know that I've been given something, and I know i got to do something with it. i got to go out and share. i got to go out and teach. i got to go out and reach. This is a personal, uh, my, my personal burden. It's something we're working on. We're trying to get started campus ministry here in Indianapolis. We live in a city with three college campuses. And I truly believe that this group is uniquely situated to be sort of a hub where these college students can come in and can hear the gospel taught and can, and can, and can find a social group that they can integrate with and, and, and they can find a place that they really connect and they really belong. And there are three campuses on this in the city, and we need to be reaching out. We gotta go do something with it. You know.
know, we all have a sphere of influence. We have people we work with. We have family members. Sister Hillary can testify that, that through her, uh, what's happened in her life, Josh can testify through what's happened in his life. He came to church, and, and something happened, and he changed. And Sister Hillary came to church, and something happened, and she changed. And Josh, your mom just got the Holy Ghost not long ago, driving on the street in her car, because she saw what happened in her son, and that was a sphere of influence. That was something that started to change. And, and, and then Sister Hillary, her family, they're asking questions. Her sister's going to an apostolic church up in Muncie, Indiana. And, and God's doing things one soul at a time, one person at a time. And it's starting, it's happening because they said, I got something and I got to do something with it. And I'll admit, I'm, the, I'm not doing it well. I don't do it great. I don't, I'm not doing it as much as I could. But I felt convicted lately. I really felt challenged lately in the Holy Ghost. The more I've been praying, I, just this burden's been weighing in my heart and weighing in my soul. And I didn't know what to do next. And I didn't know where to go. And I couldn't figure it out. And God was telling me, what are you going to do with it? You come every Sunday and we hear great teaching. But we can't just leave. We can't just show up and pay our tithes and go home. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Discipleship has to lead to apostleship. What are we going to do with it? It's easy to make excuses. I got married, and now my wife has a handful. And uh, life gets busy. I thought for sure, as soon as I was done with college, life was going to get easier, and, and that didn't happen. And I thought for sure, once I got married and moved out, I was going to have more time. And, and, and Lord knows that that didn't happen. But I can't make excuses because I've got something. What, what am I going to do with it? And, and I, I love young adults. Since I came back from California, this group has been there to support me. This group has been here to, to encourage me. Brother Lopez has been a great friend. Brother Brother Kilman has been a great friend. And, and the support of my parents and, and, and my brother and, and Brother Sister Parkes. And, and I love this group. And I, I was just having a hard time with this, getting ready to come down here. I, but I just feel like we have to have a renewed commitment to evangelism in this group. We have to have a renewed commitment to outreach in this group. We used to spend one night a week, we were down here praying. One night a week, another night a week, we'd be down here doing Bible study. One night, almost every weekend, we'd be going out somewhere and doing outreach. And, and I miss that. And I, I slacked off. I'm sorry. We don't do as much together as we used to. And to anybody I may have offended, to anybody that I may have hurt, I'm sorry. I want to I come back together as a group. I want to grow back together as a group. And I'm finishing up here. I know it's early, but uh, musicians can come. I want to encourage everybody again. What are you going to do with it? We've been given a great gift. We've been blessed with a great opportunity. we got to do something with it. we got to go out with it. we got to go tell the world. we got to go share the gospel. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You know, and, and, and there's a lot to it. I understand that. But it's just one step. It's just meeting one person and saying, is there something I can pray for in your life? Because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. It's just one thing in our lives that we can say, can I, can, can I, can I take you grocery shopping? You know, go talk to your neighbors. Go talk to your coworkers. Go talk to your family. It's just, it's, it's something we can do. And Brother Barkas, I'm going to ask you to come and, and, and wrap this up. I just want to ask you one more time. What are you going to do with it?